0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Paddock Pass podcast festive greetings dear listener because we are here with a show that is timely just before the Christmas season starts in fact the Christmas season may have already started judging by uh, my current surroundings I've got a Christmas tree to the left of me lots of lights and uh, flashing things uh, ahead Adam Wheeler. My good friend, good colleague uh, of On Track Off-Road is joining me for this episode in which we are going to uh, take a look back at uh, the contrasting fortunes of KTM and Aprilia in this year's MotoGP season. Uh, So lots to talk about ahead. First of all though, Adam, I don't see many Christmas decorations where you are. We're recording via Zoom here because you're in Barcelona, I'm back in Northern Ireland and uh, yeah, what's going on with the, the lack of the lack of decoration
1: well I'm more interested in hearing about your flashing things to be honest that sounds a bit more promising over there in Northern Ireland I've hijacked my son's bedroom so apologies now I'm not next to the christmas tree but you know uh, I guess this uh, you know interaction via digital means is going to be uh, the way a lot of people will be swapping greetings um you know this christmas It certainly will be the case for us with some some cheesy christmas quizzes going on uh, you know with the family this year but yeah. yeah, at least we can still talk and finish uh 2020 P. You know, we've only got, what, 10? No, less than 10 days left of the year. So it's, uh, it's timely we get it wrapped. And what a good story to wrap as well, because uh, the Austrians made a big old move this year.
0: They certainly did. Yeah. Just before we get on to the Austrians, uh, there I was thinking that uh, you had uh, developed a, a liking for Taylor Swift, but it just happens that you're in your uh, your little boy's bedroom. It's not your own one. <laughs> <laughs> to run the poster on the wall behind you. Uh, so, Adam, um, it's been an interesting 2020. We've already covered um, the fortunes of Suzuki, Ducati, Honda, and Yamaha in previous shows, and uh, as I mentioned just before now. We're going to be talking about KTM and Aprilia. So we'll start with KTM first because I don't think there's any way that you could spin this as anything other than an unmitigated success. It was a a sensational season for the Austrian factory. They took a monumental leap forward. It's hard to remember um, a time when a factory has taken such a giant leap forward um, from top 10 to podium contenders and regular podium finishes and even race winners. It was uh, quite remarkable.
1: Would you say it was probably one of the biggest surprises of the season? I mean, I think, uh, you know, the pace, especially of someone like Brad Binder. I mean, in the first uh, pre-season test uh, at Valencia, I mean, he was 2.5 seconds away from the fastest times. I mean, it looked like he was completely overawed by the by by the the task ahead of him yet by the time we got to Jerez and the season finally started um he was looking like one of the the sharper riders in the category i mean even though he had run off the track and was gaining pace i mean he was setting lap times that were equivalent to sort of the top 5 uh, in the race that day um it was hard to tell from from those those first you know movements and you'd expect somebody like Paul Espargaro to be quicker at Jerez anyway for the amount of laps that he's done there through the ages and through the classes um but yeah I mean from from the offset it was uh it was clear that the you know KCM had made a movement forward
0: yeah yeah I mean just uh just a few numbers here to show you the comparison with uh, 2019 I mean the best rider in 2019 finished 11th in the championship with just 100 points to his name that was Paul Spargerl this year Paul was fifth overall uh, i think the constructors championship says uh, a whole lot i mean they were fifth last year with 111 points this year they were fourth okay just one place higher but with 89 points more and that's in six races left which is quite remarkable yeah zero, po- zero podiums last year eight podiums this year um, and the gap to the top manufacturer in 2019 was 315 this year it was just 21
1: yeah, and it was just four points as well from the manufacturer's standings as well. I mean, from second place. I mean, there was nothing in it.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so quite remarkable. So, Adam, I mean, you uh, have obviously uh, you are a keen uh, motocross uh, follower um, and journalist as well. So, you know KTM since way back when. You know how they do business and how they think. Um, I mean, what what was it that allowed this massive progression this year? What what led to this uh, this stunning season for them?
1: I think that's the big question you know that's that's the, the the kind of uh the issue that everybody wanted to to bury into when it came to to the manufacturer because you know it it was such a, a big step and if you compare somebody like Aprilia um or even Suzuki where you know you could say that progress was was more staggered um, you know, from, from what I know of the factory, it's, it's just been the ability to react amazingly quickly. Um, and from what we've seen in the last few years, that's manifested itself in, Usually set up. I mean, whether it's been the the purchase of Husqvarna and then launching a myriad of, of racing uh, teams and campaigns in various series, uh, you know, especially in off road. Uh, and again, we saw this year, you know, the Vented in motor three again. Um, you know, it, it, the 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 way that the company is structured is it moves. Particularly quickly, and and they hire very specialist, specialized and and uh, informed engineers and staff. They get everything in the right place, and then they just go for it. It seems like the company is permanently in fifth or sixth gear, and I think that uh, implemented itself a little bit into um, some of the backroom. Uh, knowledge and uh, development ideas. As an example, I don't want to witter on too much, but I I did an interview recently with Wolfgang Felber, who was one of the instrumental characters behind their Renaissance in Moto3 in 2012. You know, as people probably well know, KTM came back into Grand Prix racing after some success. with two strokes, 125 and 250s. In 2012, their first attempt at Moto3, they won the championship with Sandra Cortese. Um, Wolfgang Fellwell was involved at that time. Uh, left for a few years to uh, focus more on WP and suspension technology, then came back to the RC16 and the GP project three years ago. Uh, it kind of coincided with Danny Pedrosa retiring and joining the test team with Mika Calio. Um KTM from that moment, um, seem to put all the building blocks right into place, whether that was getting a satellite team on board straight away and, and doubling their efforts and their knowledge and their data acquisition, uh, to doubling the, the expertise in their test team, uh, to mixing young, uh, kind of creative engineers. If you go anywhere near KTM's pit box or their team in the paddock, you'll see there's a real blend of kind of youth and experience. And Felber was kind of one of the, the guys, you know, from that experience camp. So you put all this stuff together and they just were able to move much more quickly. And if you talk about more uh, uh, specific things, then, you know, the factory are already using a lot of 3D printing technology um, and to be able to they've really invested in that and implemented it inside uh, the MotoGP project to to advance their their frame development uh, as an example.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I guess the frame development was one of the the big areas in which they took a step forward this year. Um, Paul Vosburghel had spoken for the need to improve the bike's turning, especially mid-corner, for quite some time. Yet this year, it seems that they had a pretty agile bike, which, uh, you know, considering their engine configuration, was uh, was quite a, an impressive step forward. I mean, um, obviously, chassis, um, chassis development has uh, has been a contributor to that, also you have to imagine Danny Pedrosa's input as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Felbert said that, you know, the the KTM, the RC16 went from being a bike that was designed principally for pole uh, in 2018, 2019 to being designed and modeled for Danny Pedrosa uh, because Pedrosa, what he did, um, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, did, he, did you make, essentially copy an HRC kind of architecture on the chassis? And he said, no, not at all. But what we did do is we had Pedrosa's mindset in thinking of a championship of 18, 19 different tracks, uh, different conditions, different temperatures, um, instead of basing it around a race's input, which essentially works from week to week to week. Because the Aspargaro and people like his crew, Chief Paul Tarathian and Brad Binder, the Tech 3 guys are only thinking about the next race. Whereas Pedrosa's remit was to think about a bike that could tackle the whole span of the championship. And he said that was where he was different to Mika Calio and where he really kind of earned his money. Um, You know, uh, another example was, you know, Danny has a very small stature, as we know, but uh, he said that that wasn't such an important factor in the development of the bike. It was more his mindset. Um, And he was able to, uh, give specific information to the construction of the, of the chassis that made the bike more rideable. And, and we saw it straight away because in 2019, I remember the looks on the KTM riders' faces in Sepang. They were utterly lost. I mean, the bike was sliding around, wasn't putting traction down. It was was a nightmare for them. Um, but then this year, it just seemed like it worked at a lot more places. I mean, by the end of the season, we knew that, that Pole would be pushing for not just you know in, uh, direct Q2, but also for the first rows of the grid.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We had a, an opportunity to speak to Pit Byer after Brad Binder's uh, stunning uh, victory for KTM, their first in MotoGP back in August that was. And I remember one of the, the things that Pitt mentioned was the strategy changed ever so slightly in that they thought, you know what, let's sacrifice 2019 somewhat. And in that year, Danny is just going to work on the 2020 bike. And we're basically going to have to think, right, we've we can only get so far with this nineteen machine, but if Danny spends basically a full season developing the twenty twenty machine, then we should really hit the uh, hit the ground running. And and so it proves. And I mean, that was uh, quite an inspired strategy, and quite a um, you know, it's looking at the the bigger picture. It's not just looking for like immediate gains and immediate results. They were thinking, well, you know, I guess we could go from ninth, eighth, tenth, like we were doing at the start of nineteen. To maybe sixth or fifth, but with this strategy, they've managed to take that bigger step to you know third, fourth quite regularly, um, and uh, I think that was quite quite an impressive and important uh, important decision as well.
1: I think one of the highlights Pit Byrus said of the year was not just the results and the elation and and the swing of fortunes, but it was the fact that you know a rider, a rookie like Brad Binder, came up to them after winning in Bruno. I mean, it was only round three or four, I think. And uh, said that he had the best bike on the grid. Um, you know, I mean, for for a guy who, you know, has barely had I don't know two hours of racing in the category to make that kind of comment, I think really gave the whole crew a huge boost. Um, and you know, the fact that Miguel Oliveira ended the season so strong, uh, you know, and also succeeded, of course, in the Red Bull Ring, um, you know, it, it's been an absolutely stellar season, and there's no reason why you know, that bike can't get any better. I mean, still for me, Neil, one of the best um, storylines is, I think it was 2016 when um, KTM launched the project at the Red Bull Ring. We were in the press room that day and uh, Stefan Pira, who's not short on confidence, was saying, you know, he kind of expected... Company CEO. Yes, he expected KTM to be winning within five years. And I think there was plenty of people that either rolled their eyes or scoffed or decided to take another gulp of their coffee at that point, but um you know he's been proved right I mean less than five years and they've won Grand Prix and you know Paul if it hadn't been for one or two I don't know you could say dramatic uh errors throughout the season then he could have been in for the for the championship
0: yeah exactly absolutely um I think um one of the interesting things which you just touched on there was that you had three guys going very very fast and even Igor Lekuona to a lesser extent was was quite impressive in his rookie year um but Uh, I think Di said back at the Red Bull ring, you've got Paula Spargrove, who is super aggressive, aggressive as all hell, really throttles the bike and squeezes the last little ounce of uh, potential out of it. Then you've got Miguel Oliveira, who's a little bit smoother. And then you've got Brad Binder, who's riding like he rides in Moto2. So you have these three styles that are all working quite well with the RC16 this year. And that, I guess, is also a testament to some of their engineering. It's It's a very accessible bike now.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious to see what um, Danilo Petrucci will bring to it next year. I mean, uh, you know, he must have been one of the guys at the end of the season, you know, getting off a, a troublesome factory Ducati and, and being able to climb onto a bike that's already proved to well as won the final round of 2020. Um, you know, he, he's he must be over the moon. I mean, signing that contract even before the season started and, and effectively being dumped from Ducati. Now he's he's on a winning motorcycle.
0: Exactly, yeah, yeah. as he said at the final race he has to thank Gigi Delinia for for sacking him back in uh, whenever it was, uh, March or April Uh, that's turned out to be uh, a bit of a blessing in disguise Um, I'm going to, just to finish off on on KTM Adam um, I mean we had three KTM riders uh, scaling the podium this year we had two different winners from KTM um, but which in your opinion which rider was the most impressive this year? From Brad Binder, Miguel Oliveira, Paul Spargro.
1: It has to be Binder um i think you know Oliveira pretty much built on what he had shown in 2019 his rookie year i mean he was already troubling the top eight uh, again on a motorcycle that we've established wasn't uh you know super competitive yet uh until you know he was taken out by joan zarko and silverstone uh, and hurt his shoulder so for me the binder's progression has been phenomenal and actually watching him uh, through the weekends, there was a, a discernible pattern, wasn't there? Friday, he was trying to get a, a handle on how to maneuver a MotoGP bike around the circuits. Um, you know, he was fast by Saturday morning um, and then he would be right into contention and into the race. Uh, just some rookie mistakes really stopped him from being, uh, I mean, top 10 in the championship. Rookie in the year by, by a massive margin, um, you know, and I think points in the majority of the races he can, he contested, so... I think he was uh, really the standout. I mean, for bringing that MotoGP victory, he's going to be, you know, on the walls in in Manticoff and Amundafing for, you know, the foreseeable.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's still, thinking back to Brno, it's still difficult to comprehend exactly what happened that day, just how ridiculous that was. It was a a real ride of class. Um, I would go against you, Adam, and I would actually say that Paul was uh, the most impressive of of those riders because, yes, he was in, what, his fourth year with KTM. um, But, I mean, by the end of the season, that guy was just a regular podium challenger. He, I think, had seven top four finishes in the last 10 races, and that was after... We had questioned his uh, temperament, uh, his ability to stay cool at the start of the season because, I mean, Paul might disagree, but that coming together with Sarko, it wasn't totally Zarco's fault in, in Brno when Paul probably should have won that race, but he didn't. And uh, then, you know, there were two races in, in Austria, basically, where... The Oliverian student. The, <laughs> the Oliverian student, and he had the pace to win, but he didn't. Um, and some people actually... Uh, seemed to take issue with some of his, uh, well, maybe his attitudes or how he carried himself those weekends. But um, those thoughts, I think, were all put right to one side and he became extraordinarily consistent. Um, and yeah, fifth in the championship. And as you mentioned, he wasn't a, a million miles away from the guys ahead of him. I mean, Espagro was, uh, yeah, he was four points away from Alex Rind in third overall. So,
1: uh, well, yeah, he tied on points with Davizioso uh, for fourth. You know, I think it was only Dovi's win that took it took the that championship placing away from him. I mean, I would agree with you. you know, I think he's been again exceptional this year. Uh, you could say it was coming. I mean, if there's anybody who knows that team and that motorcycle, you know, better than there isn't basically. Uh, but for Paul, I think um, you know, as much as the story around Brad was fantastic, a rookie coming in, given a factory their first win, then for Paul that whole narrative of has he made a mistake joining HRC, um, you know, the most decorated team in, in the category um, when he already has a package that looked to be working so well. And, you know, being quite close to KTM, you can see how much that factory, uh, you know, depends on him. They, you know, they trusted him. Uh, the contract was done like pre, just pre Hareth, I think, if I remember rightly for HRC. Um, so, you know, for from the from the get go it was obvious that KTM were not going to be relying on Paul for 2021 but still you wouldn't have judged that uh you know from from the testing and the and the way that they went racing together so i mean that's that says a lot for how much they valued him so would it, has he has he made the wrong move i mean what do you reckon
0: <laughs> i think we might have mentioned this in or we might have touched upon this in the last show but uh i think maybe initially it might be a bit of a shock to the system but i, I expect paul to to make some good progress with uh, with the honda next year i think he's uh, i think he's a, a really strong rider and i think he's he's got the attitude and the riding style to to do well there
1: do you think it was important then that uh you know like Oliveira won races and and showed himself to be pretty strong to take that position in the factory team because ktm are not they got ready to relatively inexperienced riders but then they've already shown that they know what it takes to win at that level.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think is ready. I think he probably feels he should have had that seat alongside Paul in 2020, judging by how he reacted when Binder got that place. You would you would certainly assume so. Um, and I think Oliveira was one of the the more impressive performance this year as well. Um super consistent. Okay, he just had the two podiums and those were both race wins, but you know, he had a lot of top six finishes. Um and I just like how he gets on with his business. I think he's uh I think he's a class act. And and you know what a what a young, exciting team they have next year. Binder and Oliveira.
1: How do you feel about Iko Likawana? Because I think, you know, maybe there was a feeling some people expected some more of him. I mean, Herve Poncherao was constantly reminding us that he's a rookie and he needs to learn, you know, which is a given. Um, I think he's also the youngest rider in the class. Uh, maybe him or Quattararo, it's very close. Yeah, he is uh, and yeah, so that's, I mean, he scored in only 17, uh, seven of the 14 rounds um, and then obviously missed the last few because of, the, of, of COVID.
0: Um, I think that he's still very much a work in progress um, and that you have to put this year into context because he was initially supposed to be in Aki IO's Moto 2 team this year, um, but for Zarco departing, and, and basically KTM didn't have anyone t- who was willing to step up um, and take over um, from, well, not Zarco's seat, but a, a place in one of their four Moto GP seats. Um, and I think considering that, considering his lack of general experience, he is very young, just I think 19 he was for most of this season, um, and his, his general road racing experience. I mean, it, Iker got into uh, racing on asphalt very late indeed in his career. I think he was 15 maybe or 14 when he started racing on asphalt, which you know by MotoGP terms is quite late. Um, and he still managed, what, three top tens this year? Okay, those top tens came when the bike was, was generally working very well. I know the KTM riders were a lot further up, but um, I think he's got bags of ability, bags of uh, bags of speed. Um, it's just about harnessing that a little bit because we did see, you know, several occasions that uh, he got a bit too excitable. Uh, There's a few fairly strongly worded press releases from Hervé Poncharal <laughs> at certain points where he had been imploring Iker to bring the bike home and get some points and Iker didn't really listen to that crashed out uh, on the Sunday so um I think for a rookie campaign it was it was a perfectly acceptable one it wasn't a, a standout rookie campaign but in the context of of Iker Lacona's career I thought it was it was good
1: but the problem is, as KTM become more successful and the bike becomes more competitive, then there's a bigger clock over your head, isn't there? So you know, how long do you give a 20-year-old to learn? I mean, it's different if he was on a satellite machine that's a year old. But, you know, by all accounts, the bike he's riding is the same as Oliveira used to win the final race.
0: No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, he does need to make a big step up in 2021. Otherwise, as you say, there's going to be a host of Model 2 names knocking on the door of uh, pit buyer to try and get that seat uh, next year because as it stands that's he's possibly the the weak link in that factory this model gp lineup
1: and again it just shows you how fast everything flips i mean ktm probably struggled struggle two years ago to to attract a top name to to their bike but by the sounds of things you know even three or four months ago there were riders knocking on or like trying to get hold of pit buyer's number
0: yeah exactly and i think remy gardner is one rider that has uh, been told start 2021 well in model 2 and uh, you'll have a seat in model gp in 2022 so um yeah yeah eco definitely does have uh, doesn't have so much time on his side
1: well the other thing that's unique about ktm just before we move on to to the italians is they have a they have a stretch I mean odd as it may seem for a small manufacturer compared to the Japanese um, and for a predominantly a dirt bike uh, brand is that they have roots right the way into road racing you know Northern Talent Cup uh, Red Bull rookies for for a number of years um, they also have a, a structure called a GP Academy. Um, which means, you know, they have customer teams in Moto3 and they keep an eye on riders that are filtering from Red Bull rookies um, going into Moto3. And then once they kind of step into Moto2, um, you know, Aki Ayo's bike, you know, there's nothing really KTM about it aside from the colors. Um, But what Aki is providing for the factory is a a development platform. Um, You know, Jorge Martin was an investment um you know Jorge Martin was offered a contract to go to you know KTM in MotoGP but elected to move um you know I think that they were actually a little bit disappointed about that Uh, but now you know like they say they've clearly invested in Remy um and that that Gardner's only moving to a very competent Moto2 team um you know and a group of technicians but also that is pretty much a channel into the premier class um, and then Ralph Fernandez as well, who came so sh- came on so strong at the end of Motor 3, won three Grand Prix, I think. Um two. you two. know, he's been two. Okay. Two of the last three then. Uh so he's now been also, you know, placed next to Remy. And I think those two guys, KTM will be looking to monitor and see if they can they can filter into the to the four GP bikes that they have. So that's another reason why Licuano, I think, for me really has to show something in 2021 because KTM have got these guys coming through.
0: Absolutely. And speaking of uh, needing to show something in 2021, that brings us nicely uh, onto Aprilia, um, the factory that uh, remains something of a puzzle, I think to uh, to onlookers. Um, this year was a little different in the fact that uh, we had the Sepang test back in February Back in that other strange life that we led, where we could travel freely and uh, uh, basically commune with other people without uh, face wear or without worries or about restrictions or contamination. Um, but I mean, Sparkle was sensational at test. I think he was uh, in the top three on some of the days. He was speaking as though he felt he had the potential to ride to podium finishes in 2020. Uh, but It's never quite that straightforward with Aprilia as we've seen through their (laughs) their kind of tumultuous time in MotoGP and I mean it was considering that early promise you have to maybe consider 2020 as a disappointment I mean Espargro 17th overall 42 points to his name it's not quite what we expected early doors or is it Adam?
1: I mean, it seemed from 2019 where the bike had clear reliability issues. It seemed more there was things going on around the bike that seemed to, you know, have such an impact on Aprilia in 2020. I mean, as we were saying earlier, the, the bike was by no means slow. I mean, it was one of the, the faster machines after the Ducatis through the speed traps at Red Bull Ring in the summer. Um, for me, Neil, it's uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about a constructor here who finished sixth and last in the table this year, 51 points. Um, the team, ahead, the, the brand ahead of them was Honda at 144. You know, so it was, you know, they really are kind of the minnows of of, of the MotoGP class. Uh, just two machines um, racing this year with essentially one, you know, fully-fledged racer, Bradley Smith, you know, having to deputize for Andrea Iannone. Maybe we can get onto him in a minute. I know you're a big fan. Um, and, you know, it's... Yeah, I think you're just asking a lot. And If you look at as much as I think Alessia Spargaro brings a lot of um, rationality and experience into development with a team, and he's obviously, a, it seems like a team player very much. You know, how far are you going to develop a motorcycle when your lead rider is somebody who hasn't won a Grand Prix, hasn't appeared on the podium, hasn't won a championship? Um, if you look at all the other brands, either leading the line or behind the scenes in their test teams, they have riders with that acumen you know that high level performance cv um to 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 bring to the development so it's you know they're missing the bikes they're missing the data and i think they're missing a little bit of that um that premium kind of input
0: Mm, quite possible i mean missing that premium input i think espargro maybe showed with suzuki and aprilia back in 2017 when he joined them that you know he could um take a a bit of a minnow and turn it into a a bike that's capable of top six results um however I do agree you know as a guy that has what two podiums in his entire Grand Prix career it's not exactly a a serial winner or was never a serial winner um at any time as a world championship level rider um so that could be something but then you have to say um that the case with Andrea Iannone this year was a, a Big big factor in a pretty lagging behind because, as you mentioned, Bradley Smith had to deputise Bradley Smith as a test rider, and when he was deputising, he was carrying out testing duties in a lot of Grand Prix weekends. So it was very rare that he actually had the chance to just try to go out to basically work on race setup and set up his bike for Sunday. He was still testing parts in pretty much all of that time, so he was hamstrung to an extent as well. Um, And uh, I guess this leads to the question. I mean. We know what happened uh, to Iannone's, um Basically, Iannone's appeal uh, resulted in him getting a four-year ban, which is catastrophic for for um, for his career and basically catastrophic for Aprilia as well. But were were they? Was that trust um, and backing of their rider? Was that perhaps a little misplaced? Obviously, context and hindsight is a wonderful thing, but
1: yeah, I mean, he, they obviously believed in him, and from a PR point of view as well you know what do you do you're stuck between two places do you dump the rider or you try and support him and then you know his his hearing could have gone the other way and he would jump straight back on the bike but you know i think at some some point of you know um aprilia kind of senior management must have realized that they uh they had to write off parts of 2020 and just hope that Alesh could make the bike more
0: competitive i mean it's um when you were backing him to, to the extent there were you really assumed that ianone had kind of a lot more to his defense than he did and there was a report released by the i think it was by the, uh, the court of arbitration of sports which was basically a, a summary of the uh, of the appeal that took place in back in october i think it was and i mean there were some glaring holes in ianone's uh, arguments and it just it seems strange that for so much money and so much time to be invested in it that he could go in some respects you have to say he's still quite underprepared for some of the questions that he faced regarding you know the the intake of the apparently contaminated meat um so that was that was obviously a big thing which um which affected aprilia and then
1: yeah but no let's be honest i mean unless you're having a local takeaway chinese where you don't really know if you're eating chicken or beef then you know you're gonna have to prepare for a hearing you know surrounding a multi-million euro contract and racing effort in a better way uh it's it was a little bit scandalous i think that the information they provided was was not satisfactory to to meet the you know the the court of arbitration's um uh inquiry uh, in any way it left a pretty in a big hole i mean it was kind of interesting to realize or to hear some of the speculation about who would be riding for them in 2021 you know once the inoni chapter are closed but I still think uh, you know they're going to be chasing. They're going to be chasing everybody else next year.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. It's hard to disagree with you. I think another thing that played a big part in in April's fortunes this year um, was the fact that uh, we had the Hareth. We had a one day test at Hareth before the first MotoGP race of the year in July, and I think Espargaro they had like numerous engine failures, and basically they just said, you know what, like. Um, we're going to have to turn the power down with this engine um, just for reliability purposes. And to be fair, the, the reliability wasn't too bad after that, um, but there was that loss of acceleration, which I think Spargaro said was uh, was a massive uh, handicap throughout the year. And he said that this year's RSGP, was probably the best MotoGP gp bike he's ever read uh, ridden um it, it handled well he could really ride aggressively with it, it give him confidence but um it just lacked that grunt out of the corners and with ktm taking the massive step they did this year um the the bar was raised essentially um so yeah another big step is going to be needed for next year and as you said adam that i guess that brings us on like wh- what what happened with with their their plans to secure a rider for next year, because we heard all sorts of names, Bizecki, um, uh, Didjan Antonio, uh, Joe Roberts was quite a surprising name at the end of uh, 2020 guy that they tried to draft in for 2021, but all of the guys turned them down.
1: I think it was a a situation in the end where it was a case of who, who do we place here? Because, you know, uh, Joe Roberts had the American passport. Uh, there was talk of trying to get a Brit in there. So it was quite exciting to hear someone like Chaz Davis being linked. Um, you know, you, you kind of wanted to have the Aprilia, the second saddle became more about the demographics of, of, you know, MotoGP rather than thinking, well, who's the best person to either, you know, bring a higher level performance than say, Alessio Spargaro or, uh, you know, to, to bring extra development nuance to, to the project but yeah it was a it was a bit of a comedy situation wasn't it i mean another thing you know with Alesh probably being the, the lead rider again next year i would love to have been you know maybe on a couple of family dinners at the, the asparagus household uh, throughout 2020 if those guys ever got together because you know you had one the younger brother absolutely hammering it on the on the ktm and the older one getting maybe a little bit frustrated and having to carry a, a factory's efforts on his shoulders again by himself so it's uh yeah, talk talk about um uh, sibling rivalry.
0: Yeah, exactly. And just one other thing. I mean, I think it was three races from the end, their decision to just kind of move Bradley Smith out of the the role of deputising Frianoni and putting Lorenzo Salvadori in there. I find that that was just another strange move that didn't quite make sense. I mean Salvadori's shown some potential, but I don't think he's ever really struck any of us as a, as a guy that's going to be you know a real a force of model gp at some time
1: i agree i mean it certainly wasn't well explained i mean i feel sympathy for somebody like bradley smith because again he's torn between having to race and develop like you pointed out earlier i mean it's a different mindset it's a different different job description i mean stefan bradall had pretty much the same thing at hrc um, but by the end of the season he seemed to have made a switch or you know we're left with a positive impression at least because he had tested in in you know portamao and then had a strong race um but yeah i, I, I full sympathy for the for the job that brad did because i don't think he would he he was either trying to race and get good results or he was trying to test and then you weren't going to see that on the result sheets yeah
0: and we go into the winter uh the winter break with um, a little bit of uncertainty still there because a essentially have salvadori and bradley um going to they're basically going to contest uh each other through the preseason to try and prove who is more um apt uh, to be a star <laughs> teammate yeah. next year more capable exactly so that is uh that's an interesting situation i think um but uh well interesting nonetheless
1: it it would have been good to see an american in in gp i mean if joe roberts but then, you know, Neil, I mean, if you if you take that opportunity, are you really on a hide into nothing? Or are you just going to hope that people see your, the progression you're making while you're trying to scramble for points?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think um, the Joe Roberts thing, um, I bumped into him in Portimao when this was a very real possibility and he had to give his answer to Aprilia quite soon. And how he, um, how he reacted to their offer was not didn't give me the impression that it would have gone really well that it would have been a big success he was basically to the to some extent saying I don't know if I deserve this to be honest um I want and he, said, he eventually said that he wanted to go and win races in Moto2 before he might step up to GP in the future um but he didn't seem that convinced not necessarily by Aprilia's lack of performance but by his own pedigree and I think um yeah, if you go into MotoGP with that mindset, it's going to be quite tough to to make it to the top. So I'm sure we'll see Joe or, or maybe a, another American in MotoGP very soon.
1: But then it's you could say sorry to cut across you, but you know maybe a are also in a situation where KTM were a couple of years ago. I mean, uh, if Cal Crutchlow has an offer, and you know people are linking him with a from like Le Mans, um, you know, quite a few months before the end of the season, if he decided eventually to to take a step back from it. Um, you know then then you have to think what kind of calibre of rider could, could Aprilia attract
0: yeah and I guess that's also something we, we haven't mentioned which we should they were caught cold they all season long Divizioso and Crutchlow had been linked to Aprilia when we learned that they were going to be leaving um, Ducati and Honda respectively um, and then at the 11th hour both decided to basically reject them so that left them in the in the lurch somewhat so Yes, uh, you do hope that pretty find uh, a bit of direction and uh, a bit of luck um, in their project because, well, the more the merrier, basically, at the top of MotoGP. And um, I think, yeah, with uh, a new engine and, and basically a new uh, evolved bike for 2021 let's see can
1: i also what make happens? a plea you know just on the, the minimal chance that the aprilia designer is listening to this to uh to look at past decades and past years of aprilia presence in MotoGP gp because it used to be one of the best looking bikes so i think they need to up their game a little bit on that aspect as well
0: <laughs> okay right yeah so take note aprilia italian designers uh the silver fox has spoken <laughs> uh, well adam i would just like to say thank you very much for everything in uh 2020 and a merry christmas to you
1: same to you mate same to you
0: yeah will you be uh, what are your plans I guess we're all quite restricted on what we can do where we can go this Christmas but uh, you'll be staying local I assume
1: yeah um, keeping an eye on things uh, Dakar of course starting in for the second time in the in the Middle East so that's something to watch see if uh, KTM can uh, get back on their winning run 18 years in a row they won uh, and then HRC stole the, stole the victory last year and then uh, AMA Supercross starts in mid January So, you know, even though across Europe it's not looking too bright in terms of, you know, COVID-19 cases, restrictions and everything else, um, racing is trying to be stubborn and trying to continue. Um, So fingers crossed, uh, you know, we can get some action and and get some more talking points.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And uh, I guess it's about now that I should say thank you to you, dear listener, um, for your continued listening to this show. Um, Happy Christmas to you as well Um, and I'd like to say also that uh, you should keep your eyes peeled because there's going to be a really special episode of the Paddock Pass podcast coming to you in the next week or so uh, in which we have a an exclusive interview with the world champion himself, with Joanne Meir. Um, So we're going to be doing a bit of a a special show based around that interview with some insights from people close to him and uh, some analysis from, uh, well, the usual people that you hear on this show as well. Uh, It's round about now that I should also say that uh, we have a host of social media channels in which you should follow, uh, Twitter being one of those, at Paddock Pass Pod at Facebook as well as uh, facebook.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast and uh, we of course have a Patreon page now as well and it's uh, over on Patreon where you can find all sorts of different goodies uh, exclusive content um, for as little as three dollars a month and we'd just like to thank you again for your continued support of the show and uh, as Adam mentioned we intend to come back bigger and even stronger in 2021 with uh, potentially more shows, um, more commentators. And uh, well, I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about in that time as well. But until then, I wish you a Merry Christmas and uh, we'll speak to you soon.